This week's episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hi, bro. Well, hello, Allison. I hope you're excited for today's episode. I am so excited. Here comes the judge. <laughs> judge Bro is going to lay down the law and put to rest a few controversial ideas in personal finance. Should you try to beat the market? Should you use your Roth IRA as an emergency fund? Judge Bro is bringing down the gavel of financial justice. We're also going to answer your question about avoiding capital gains taxes by juggling with your Roth. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers. And today's question comes from Tom. Tom writes, Hey fools, I have a big winner in my brokerage account to go along with two big losers. Womp womp. <laughs> Let's say I don't see any near-term upside for holding on to the two losers. Can I make the following move to avoid paying taxes on my winner? sell all three positions in the same year, then buy the winner in a Roth IRA. The two losers would offset capital gains tax while essentially transferring the position to a Roth IRA that won't get taxed when sold. I assume there's a holding period where one cannot buy the winner in this scenario to avoid capital gains. How long is that holding period? Well, Tom, that's a perfectly fine tax management strategy, and I have even more good news for you, Tom. And that is, you don't actually have to wait to buy the winner in your Roth. You could buy it as soon as you like. What you're probably thinking of is the 30-day wash sale rule that would affect the stocks that you sell for a loss. So, if you sell a stock for a loss in a regular taxable brokerage account, and you want to deduct that loss, you cannot buy it back for another 30 days. And that 30-day clock starts the day after the sale. And we're talking calendar days, not trading days. So, if you want to take a loss in one of those stocks, but you do feel like it's still a good investment, you can sell it, you got to wait 30 days, and then buy it back. But if you think they're just not good investments, you don't even have to worry about that. So the good news is you can sell the one that's the good stock and and buy it in your Roth as soon as the money is in the account. Also know that if you are in the 10% or 15% tax bracket, capital gains are actually tax-free, believe it or not. So if you are in that lower tax bracket, you can sell that stock for the capital gain and not pay any taxes. Just know, though, that the gain will increase your income. So once, at some point, if that increased income creeps into the next tax bracket, you'll own you'll owe the capital gains tax on that amount, but not on the amount that you sell that reaches up to the next tax bracket. So I think you have a perfectly fine strategy. Go ahead and do it. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go online at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states at MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. Is now in session. The Honorable Judge Bro is residing to settle once and for all a number of controversial cases in personal finance. And the litigants for our, are you are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. I've got my robe on and my fancy wig. Not really, but as far as everyone out there is concerned, that's what I'm wearing. The <laughs> magic of radio, folks. <laughs> the litigants for our first case are on their way into the courtroom now. <clears throat> 
fair warning to all our listeners, there's going to be some bad Allison impersonations <laughs> coming coming down the track. So. so bad they're good. So bad they're good. <laughs> all right. The prosecution believes that spouses should join their financial lives in holy matrimony. Meanwhile, the defense believes that couples shouldn't mingle their money or conjugate their cash. It's the case of in separateness and in wealth. Well, welcome everyone to the courtroom. Let's hear from the prosecution. What say you? Uh, so the lawyers uh, are. So, I'm just fair warning. They're sometimes <laughs> going to be oldie timey southern. Southern lawyers. So just imagine me in a seersucker suit. Here we go. Frankly, Your Honor, I think it shows a lack of commitment on a part of the couple. When you marry, you marry for richer or poorer. The whole enchilada. And what a hassle. How do you split the mortgage? How do you split the meal tab on date night? Who pays for the milk? Does every purchase become a negotiation? What if I paid for the new TV I wanted, but you enjoy watching it? Do you owe me rent? 54% of couples in the U.S. combine everything, and that number grew in 2016 over the previous year, according to TD Bank. The trend is moving away from separate accounts because it just makes sense. All right, I've heard enough from you, <laughs> Alice and Finch. <laughs> Say hi to Scout for me. Let's hear from the defense now. Uh, all right. All right. Let me enumerate the many reasons why you should keep separate financial accounts. This is a North versus South kind of thing, it turned up, so whatever. First, each person builds up their own credit history. Each person maintains a certain amount of independence and autonomy. Each person is responsible for her or his own financial destiny and will be shielded, at least somewhat, from their partner's bad habits. With divorce rates in this nation well over 40%, according to the Department of Labor, why would you want to worsen your chances by adding money squabbles to your list of problems? I have my money, you have yours. No point in fighting about it. They both live happily ever after. All righty, we ready for the verdict? Yes. In the case, someone else do some talking. <laughs> In the case of partners and spouses should have separate finances, I find the defense guilty of being bad advice. Oh. At least as the default blanket advice for everybody, which is what some experts recommend. Separate finances, especially if your lives are complicated by kids or other expensive things, I think could be a complete hassle. Um, plus, I think having combined finances forces couples to work together. You have to agree on important goals. You can maximize your finances. You have two sets of eyes on all the bills and all the payments. Um, and it kind of keeps you both a little accountable with your money when you know that you're sharing the finances. And by the way, I think that's part of why married couples, on average, are in better financial shape than single folks. Um, I do see a point in everyone having a little bit of their own money. Like you can hear, some people recommend that there are accounts that are his, hers, and ours. So everyone should have a little bit of money. And certainly, if your spouse is particularly bad with money or the relationship is rocky, then I can see more of an argument for separate finances. But for blanket advice for everybody, I think it's much better to combine your finances. All right, the litigants for our next case are on their way into the courtroom now. The prosecution believes that your Roth IRA money is sacred, and using it for anything other than retirement is pure folly. The defense maintains that your Roth is a perfectly acceptable place to sock away your emergency fund. It's a case of the grapes of Roth. Because we're talking about rainy day funds, and the Jodes were escaping the Dust Bowl? Sure. I'm not good at puns. No, I got it. I got it. I'm proud to be bad at puns. All right, so... In the case of the Roth IRA as an emergency fund, prosecution, you may proceed. If it pleases the court, the R in IRA stands for retirement, and the money shouldn't be touched until then. But let me put forth this evidence. 
According to the Government Accountability Office, the median amount saved by households nearing retirement age is between $10,000 and $20,000. That's more than the younger households. The last thing people should be encouraged to do is spend that money before their 60s. Furthermore, (laughs) the beauty of the Roth account is that withdrawals are tax-free if you follow the rules. But if you tap into them too soon, the withdrawals could be subject to taxes and penalties. Okay, okay. Defense, what do you have to say? I would like to point out, Your Honor, that you can withdraw the contributions, not the earnings, before 59 and a half and not pay taxes or penalties. Furthermore, while I think we can all agree on the importance of an emergency fund, depending on your situation, a true emergency, such as a job loss or a big-ticket home repair, is actually a very rare occurrence. And having a big emergency fund just lying around, languishing in cash and getting taxed, it comes with a real opportunity cost. By putting your emergency fund into your Roth, you are able to see the value grow as an investment and still be able to withdraw from it should you encounter an unfortunate, albeit rare, emergency. It's the best of both worlds, Your Honor. Thank you, defense. (laughs) All right. So the verdict. In the case of the Roth IRA as an emergency fund, I find the defense innocent of being bad advice. Thank you, Your Honor. And that is rather controversial, but I think that, first of all, you have to think the standard advice for an emergency fund is three to six months of income or expenses, depending on who you ask. That is a lot of money, uh, and it's just sitting around doing nothing. Certainly, if you can contribute to your 401k and your Roth and build an emergency fund, go for it. But most people can't do that. They have to make decisions. And I think building up some of that money in your Roth IRA as something you can tap if you need it, but if you don't, it grows tax-free, I think is perfectly fine. The one thing I will say, though, is that, of course, if you are if you really are earmarking some of that money as an emergency fund, you should probably play it a little safer. If it's all in the stock market and you need and your emergency is you've lost your job because there's a downturn in the economy, then that money might have declined as well. So if you are going to use it as an emergency fund, invest it a little safer. This is a question we get all the time from people, where they're like, "Just where can I get more money out of my emergency fund than my mattress?" Right, right. I mean, you you have to have enough cash to pay your bills, but for the most part, and 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 I say this from experience. I wrote an article about this way back in like 2003 about how I used my Roth IRA as an emergency fund. It's just very difficult, especially when you're starting out. You bought a house, you have kids, to be able to accomplish all those goals. And I think that's a perfectly fine way to do it. Roth is also actually a good alternative for college savings if you end up needing the money then. So, it's a very flexible account. The one thing I will say, though, is we're talking about the Roth IRA. The Roth 401k is a different beast, and it's not as easy to use as anything like an emergency fund. All right. The litigants for our next case are on their way into the courtroom now. Here we go. This is the last ride on the Allison voice train for today, (laughs) so let's just get it over with. The prosecution says that mom-and-pop investors shouldn't try to beat the market and invest in individual stocks, whereas the defense says people can find the experience rewarding both financially and intellectually. It's the case of Daddy Sang Bass, Mama Opened Up a Bull Call Spread on the VIX. (laughs) Okay, so in the case of mom-and-pop investors should try to beat the market, let's hear from the prosecution. The evidence is clear. It's very difficult to beat the market. Even the majority of professional investors can't beat a relevant index fund. According to Standard & Poor's, less than 18... 
I just, let's, this seems like a great point to apologize to everyone that I may be offending by these voices. Just, just put that in there, right there. According to Standard & Poor's, less than 18% of actively managed funds have beaten the market over the last 15 years. Not only do most funds lose to the market, but so do most individual stocks. J.P. Morgan looked at the returns of stocks between 1980 and 2014 and found that two-thirds of stocks underperformed the market. Why spend all those hours researching stocks when you can just buy index funds for a low fee and find better ways to spend your time, like maybe a nice doctor you can marry? <laughs> I'm just saying your mother and I are concerned. <laughs> well, all right. And what is the defense's response? The evidence the prosecution is citing is based on how mutual funds perform, not on how many individual investors beat the market. Lest we forget, mutual fund managers face challenges that individual investors don't. For example, when the stock market tanks, investors want money back from their funds, so the managers are forced to sell stocks to meet redemption requests. But they'd likely prefer to buy stocks at lower prices. It's quite a bind. I would call up several witnesses to testify to their market-beaten prowess. For example, the advisors of Motley Fool Services, Stock Advisor, Rule Breakers, and Inside Value. Uh, that won't be necessary, thank you. Your Honor, investing can be as intellectually as well as financially rewarding. Many members of the Motley Fool will attest to their love of studying businesses and investing alongside their values. Why? Investing can even motivate people to save more so they can buy more stocks. All right, thank you, defense. So here we are in the verdict. In the, in the case of mom and pop investors should try to beat the market, the verdict is, oh no, a hung jury. Oh. Oh. You didn't see my jury here? <laughs> so there's no doubt that it's difficult to beat the market. But the, the research on how many actual individual investors do it is actually pretty scant. Hmm. All the evidence is based on what mutual fund managers do. Plus, being here at The Motley Fool, we do have a record of services that do beat the market. And I really have met many people who have become much more engaged in their finances. They didn't give a hoot about saving for the future until they caught the investing bug. And once they did that, became, they did become more involved in their finances. They wanted to save more money so that they can invest more. Um, the good thing about this is it doesn't have to be a right or wrong answer. You can play both sides on this decision. So, in fact, it's what I do. So, I own some individual stocks, I own some actively managed funds, but I also have a lot of my money in index funds. And I think for a lot of people, if you want to just stick with index funds, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to try investing in individual stocks, I think that's perfectly fine too. Just keep yourself accountable because you want to, you want to follow whether you actually have the skills to do it. If not, Go back to the index funds and go on your merry little way. Oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Thank God that's the show. Again, I'm just going to apologize to everyone for my awful voices, but that, that's what you get here at Answers. No closing statements? Yeah, I got closing statements. Oh, closing statements from... From the lawyers. From the, <laughs> from the lawyers. No, no, I'm done. I'm exhausted. The lawyers are already at their three martini lunches. Thank you very much. Being a lawyer is hard work. Yeah, I can. Especially when you're on both sides of the argument. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, that's the show. I want to thank Brooks, Jess, and Stella for sending a postcard from Seoul, South Korea. Wow, that's cool. I know. Answers is edited judiciously by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com, so go ahead and send your hate mail there. Uh, for Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.